there's no way out I've got to show them what I've become and There's no doubt Come on back to the world And I'm still hanging on There's no way out I've made my choices where I belong In my life have been all the same With a strain in my mind getting hurt again There's a pain in my heart but it's just a game Gotta get over it, won't go insane Won't achieve anything while I'm down Don't wanna give out my heavyweighted frown I'm stopping this now, I'ma turn it around Heaven's on the ground, now I'm looking at the clouds Gonna make a change like a change, better getting changed Gonna stay the same with my mind frame rearranged Gonna wash the blue out my mind and my eyes Was I blind in my mind? Cause that was old times Cause I'm starting fresh with a clear vision You can even spell my name in optimism Just track the M's, an I and the P And then what you're left with is me Welcome to tonight's episode of the Zod Rider Show. Happy New Year to all of our listeners out there in, in Radio Land here on PSN Radio. I am Zod Ryder, and with me tonight, as always, is Victoria. How are you today, Victoria? It's it's great to be back, and um, without any ado whatsoever we have our special guest with us for tonight he is returning to the zod rider show after uh i think it was what a year or two ago we have mr william winkler who is a who is a voice artist a producer a director he's done just about everything and we're and he's here tonight to talk about dubbing the english english language versions of the ultraman movies that are now making the rounds in theaters in both the united states and canada so uh, children kids and families are a major major key demographic group for the ultraman shows and bandai toy company is 49 percent stockholder in subaraya and the toy sales are very important and such so high quality hollywood english dubbed versions of the ultraman movies were very important to subaraya and we the first film we did was ultraman ginga s the movie which is based on the series ultraman ginga s and that film turned out great uh you know i wrote produced and directed it and cast some wonderful voice actors uh, Hollywood voice actors in it, and Subarai was so thrilled with the product that we, the finished product, we we wound up doing uh, a television movie called Ultra Fight Victory, and then we did the special 50th anniversary film of Ultraman called Ultraman X the movie, and that was a big film, and that was really a fantastic movie. In fact, that film was so good, that's why I'd suggested us doing a limited theatrical release of it, coupled with the Ginga film, and that's how we did the Ultraman movie double feature. But um, that's sort of how we how we did it, uh, how I got involved with, Ultra, with uh, Subaraya. 
we're in pre-production now on more projects, which I can't talk about. But I'm actually, I just, I'm in the casting phase of the next project. So there's a lot of Ultraman activity going on right now. I was gonna, I was just going to ask if you could, if you were going to be able to actually. uh, do the do the series the you know the the the, te- the television series that they're doing in Japan right now if that was something that you guys were in negotiations for because I I've you know like I said I've seen a few episodes of it and it's it's fantastic I mean I'm really looking forward to the the films that you did because your yeah your voice it, acting it, is, it's, is we, incredible we, yeah Joseph we're doing a tremendous amount of material and. I, Winkler Productions is working for Subaraya. Subaraya owns these American English language versions of their films and TV movies and whatnot. And uh, so we've we've got a, a we're very busy. I mean we're we're solid for like the next eight months. Okay, so we're we have an assembly line going. The the thing I should say is that you know I've been writing. For over thirty years, I know the I know the Japanese language and the how it sounds and the I know how to write an English dubbing script to the point where the lip sync is dead on perfect practically. I mean, it, the consonants and the vowels and the pauses and the speeding up and the slowing down and all the little cultural things that they do, all the little you know, I've got it down to a science where when you watch our English dubbed movies, the illusion I'm trying to create is that these are Asian-American actors living and working in Hollywood speaking their native tongue of American English. I don't want you to think they're dubbed. And the digital technology allows us, plus my scripts, plus the actors' fantastic performances, create that illusion. And they're just really sensational. I mean, we've had major uh, parties, let's say, third parties astonished at what we've done it's just it's you know i've been doing it for such a long time i i know how to do it it, dubbing is a the most difficult thing in the world to do a lot of companies say they do it and they can't do it and i think that it's it's a very tricky thing because it has a lot more in common with music composition than anything but um i'm 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 thrilled about what we're doing and again my actors are so great the uh you know, you see, what they're doing is, my voice actors, they think the thoughts and feel the emotions exactly the way the Japanese actors think and feel. And so, the performances you get are uncanny. It, it's, you really start to fall for the illusion that it's, you know. And the English dubbed versions are what every kid, every, all the, the children out there, especially boys, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. Uh, kids will never watch subtitled content. That is a proven fact. Networks will not, major networks that have big mainstream distribution will not run the subtitled content. Many of the movie theaters we dealt with for the double feature did, would not have taken the films had they been subtitled. So they wanted high-quality English dubs to get the kids and the families and everybody. But... Um, it just opens up the films to a huge audience the way Saban opened up Power Rangers to the world, you know. Uh, it, it, Super Sentai Zoo Ranger, subtitled in English, never, ever would have had the audience that the English Power Rangers 
American Hollywood Power Rangers show had. There would not be a Power Rangers toy aisle in every Toys R Us store across America if it had just been the subtitled Super Sentai Zoo Rangers show. So the dubbing is very important. Uh, interestingly enough, we do very authentic English subtitles. And those will be options in the Blu-rays and the DVDs and all that. Oh wow! And so that so that was wow. so that was licensed as well. So you, so you can't. What was so, that? So that was licensed as well, not just the dubbed versions. It's no, all no, I'm not licensed. No, Joseph, I'm not licensing. I work for Subaraya. I'm not oh, licensing. Okay, that's that's great. They own, they own all the movies I'm making for them. I get it. So I awesome. I'm I'm like their Hollywood dubbing company. You see. Mm-hmm. So okay. so. So anyway, so we're doing all the subtitled uh, versions for the for more of the fan, you know, some of the older adults and teenagers or people who are not, you know, how can I say it? The, the, okay, the mainstream. It doesn't audience, matter if it's localized for them. Yeah, the, main, the mainstream, the mainstream audience for of kids and families and such. The majority of the three hundred and thirty million Americans, if they see it. They're most likely ninety percent, ninety nine percent of the time, going to see the dubbed stuff. Absolutely. For, mm. for, those, for those who want to see the subtitled versions, we've made very authentic subtitled versions, which will be on the Blu rays and the DVDs and such, and 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 those are fantastic. Now, my I have a translator named Emily Nelson, Emily Midori Nelson. She's a wonderful lady. She's been doing it for many years translating. Uh, she lived in Japan. She was born in Japan and uh, became an American citizen, lives here. Her English is just absolutely fantastic, like an American who's been here for 30 years, you know. But her Japanese is sensational. So her translations are just dynamite, and it's her scripts which we use for the subtitled versions. Her scripts are also what I use to write my English dubbing scripts uh, from. I mean, it's the basis of how I write my my scripts. My scripts have to be changed because of lip sync and and a few other issues. But basically, she gives me the intent of all the lines, you know. In a way, it's almost as if we're recreating these movies when we dub them. If you know anything about film production, it really is. Not quite, but almost like having to remake the entire movie again from scratch so how much more complicated mm. is the process from doing from doing the dubbing for a live action film versus doing the dubbing that you've done for decades in animation um okay it's more detailed in live action i, I it's a human face the lips are doing different things there's more subtlety. You have to pay incredible attention to every little thing to have it believable, to have it as if those characters are really so, speaking. So do your, so but do with your voice actors... Was that what? I was going to say, so do your voice actors have to have to see the performance of the actor while they're dubbing the lines in order for it to Oh, yes. Work? Yes. Mm. In, when you walk into our dubbing booth... And if you're playing a part, there's monitors, and you're gonna and you're gonna go one line at a time. And there's a streamer. So if your uh, if your line is uh, you know uh, you know giant kaiju approaching, sir, you know you're a, you're a, you're a soldier talking to your captain. Uh, you'll see the picture running in real time. 
there's a streamer and then it'll go from left to right and then that's your cue to go and you'll see it written down there's a text you know giant kaiju sir whatever and you'll say the line so you'll see it now prior to our dubbing sessions all of our voice casts get the scripts ahead of time and they also have secure vimeo links of the japanese language movie ahead of time weeks ahead of time and then i will meet with them or talk to them or have phone conferences or they come to my home and we'll will my home office will rehearse and so there's no surprises Every, the the hollywood casts are beautifully prepared they know exactly what they're going to do when they come in and do it and that's another rehearsal 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 it's not like they just come in cold and they don't know what they're doing and you know they're just trying to get by that's not how we work mm. and um but my, my i must say too that my my uh, adr mixer re-recording mixer my editor i mean the sound recording engineers and editors i've always worked with guys who previously came from disney studios and my main guy bradford hill uh was uh, from uh, disney character voices in Burbank, the Disney lot there, and he's fantastic. And so we work together. And again, it's when you've got my years of experience writing the stuff, and then you've got fine Hollywood working actors, voice actors who do this for a living all the time. And then you, I've got my team, you know, my editors from Disney now working for William Winkler Productions. You come up with a really great, uh, I think, product. We. Uh, do some CG titles, you know, in English and subtitles for locations and whatnot. So it becomes a, an American production for the dubbed version and all the ending title credits are all in English. So it, it, it looks like an American movie, you know, and, uh, but they're uncut and unedited. We don't, we don't mess around with the picture at all. So like the full running time of Ultraman X, the movie and Ultraman Gingas, the movie and Ultrafight Victory, we did not edit or cut anything out. It's all there, you know? So, but yeah, it's much more, it's harder to dub a live action. I mean, not harder. It's more complicated to dub a live action film as opposed to an anime show where the lip is just flapping up and down. You know, interestingly enough, we've got four anime pilots going at the same time right now, too. So it's like we're combining the anime stuff with the. Yeah, it was crazy because we've got all this Ultraman stuff going. We've got new projects that we're doing. We've got anime pilots. And then we're right still. We still have theaters going running the double feature. So it's it's really been a busy time, you know. Now, have you had a chance to see uh, any of these, any of the ones that you've done in a, in a theater? Have you gone to any of the theatrical presentations? Yes. Yes, I went to the L.A. thing, and I'll tell you, the reactions were great. It's really, you know, the audiences laughed at the right places where I expected them to laugh. They cheered. I don't want to give it away for people who haven't seen it, but like in Ultraman X, the movie, the original Ultraman character the original Ultraman makes an appearance and helps save the day. And boy, when he shows up, he makes a very dramatic entrance and everybody cheers in the audience. And, you know, a lot of the kids go crazy. I mean, it just, it, the reactions are great. I mean, this theatrical, uh, we, we've been, we've aired in like 40 uh, theaters, most key cities in the United States and in Canada. 
And if you look at Sci-Fi Japan, you can see the Ultraman movie theater lists or whatever. Yes, I'm we've looking now. Of, mm-hmm. And we've had a lot of a lot of those theaters have already run the pictures. They've already had their play dates, but we still have some coming up in Las Vegas at the Eclipse Theater, and also up in Vancouver. Uh, we have that playing, and then there's a believe it or not later in the when the drive-in season picks up, we've got Mahoning, Mahoning Drive-in Theater in Pennsylvania got to be running it. So and some other drive-ins as well. But um, the reactions have been great. The double feature has been a success. It is a financial success. It is a it is a creative artistic success. Uh, the audiences have loved it. The theater managers have told me that everybody has a great time, and uh, you know, especially the Chicago Music Box Theater had a incredible crowd. I, I was not in Chicago, but I've heard from multiple sources that the audience just went crazy in Chicago for Ultraman. It was a lot. Yeah, that's of- where, that's where mm-hmm. my friend had, had gone. He had gone to the music box uh, oh, uh-huh. showing of it. And he, yeah, and he was raving about it and talking about what a wonderful <laughs> job it was. He said, he actually said, he actually said that it's one of the best English dubs he's ever seen, period. In terms wow. of a, in mm. terms of a movie, so I you know so going off of all, you know all the things that you're saying, well, thank and, you very and, much. And it, <laughs> it, it, it's 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 a wonderful to hear that because I you know I'm definitely an Ultraman fan and I can't and I can't wait to see it and I'm I mean I'm just I'm super excited and listening to you and your enthusiasm for the project and everything that's come out of it it just sounds wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's great. You know, I I, what, I, I thank I, I am I'm so happy that your friend had fun at the theater, and and that's that same story. I've heard many many times. People have a lot of fun watching these pictures, and and they they uh, you know they just they really love what, what we've done, and I'm proud of it because the cast did a good job and and a great job, and and again we we really took care to make the best product that we possibly could you know and it, can you talk it, a little bit about can you talk a little bit about your cast are these people that have been in some of your your um your uh, anime dubbings and things like that do you have the same core group that you use or was this there a special casting process yeah, you I went had for to, i had to bring, bring in some different people this time um well well, first of all, the guy who played Daichi, who was the young guy who turns into Ultraman X, uh-huh. uh, his name is Britton Simons, and he's done a lot of work. Uh, and uh, Nicholas Clark, Nick Clark is the voice of Hikaru Ginga, Ultraman Ginga, and he did a lot of movies like the, uh, he did some of those uh, sci-fi channel original things. And then uh, Brian Forrest was the voice of uh, show Ultraman Victory. Uh, and, you know, it's in, what's, I'll tell you something. Inter- uh, Larry Butler, who was in a lot of my stuff, uh, he always plays weird, goofy characters. I had Larry Butler come in and do the voice of uh, Italgar, who was the space-time warrior in Ginga. And he was also the comedic... Dr. Garuman alien, the Phanton alien, uh, Dr. Garuman in Ultraman X, which is kind of a goofy look, kind of a strange looking alien scientist who works with the humans in the story. But um, there's a there's a lady who was the professor 
this archaeologist archeolo- uh, character in Ultraman X, and I went through several hundred uh, voice actresses. I had to bring them in, and uh, I found an actress named Pamela Hill, and she was really good. She was a perfect match. You see, when I cast voices for these show- for these characters, it's like fitting a key in a lock, and the the range and the tone, intonation and the sounds, the 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 resonance of the resonance of their voice, how the voice sounds of a voice actor, it has to match exactly that of the Japanese actor. It's like trying to fit a key in a lock, and sometimes they don't work. Other times they work perfectly, and. Like Paul Stanko, who was another great Hollywood working actor. Or, or, or can I give an example? You casting yourself as Ken Shiro in Fist of the North Star. Well, that was that was. Let me tell you what happened. Well, with Ultraman X, I played Ultraman X. Um, I don't. This is not a game. This is not fun in games. It's not a, a joke. Uh, it's serious business, and I will only do a voice in a project if it fits within my range. If it's a range that I can do, I'm a professionally trained actor, as maybe you guys mm-hmm. remember. Yeah. Yes. I did all that stuff in the 80s. So I will only take a part or do a role if it is a right, again, just like the keys in the lock, if, it's, if it fits. Yeah. And uh, I generally will not take a salary as an actor because I'm already paid as for directing and writing the material. So, uh, you know... Uh, so I'll do that. But with Ultraman X, it was funny because Bradford Hill, my editor, I said, who are we going to cast for Ultraman X? And he was telling me, he said, you know, Bill, your voice sounds very much like the Japanese voice actor. When you talk into the, you know, when you hear him talking through the divisor communicator and whatnot, you sound a little bit like, you know, you, you've not a little, you sound a lot like the guy. So I went ahead and took the lines and I tried it and it and it worked and uh and I said, okay, fine, I'll do it, you know. I mean, it's sort of a pain in the neck for me to have to do it. You know, I'd rather just direct and get the project, concentrate on that, oh, but yeah. I'll mm-hmm. do it. But for this thing, well, with, with Ultraman X, you know, he was very uh, he was very dramatic, you know. He was a bit of a classic superhero from, like, the 1950s a little bit. You know, a lot of those characters are very... Very much a little bit like Gary Owens in Space Ghost, but not exactly, not so much cheese, you know. <laughs> that's kind of, that's a little bit how I did it. I, I still have a little residual of the cold, so my voice is not exactly Ultraman X yet. But um, uh, but getting back to the story about Pamela Hill, uh, I cast her because she was fantastic. And then as an afterthought, I looked at her resume and it said Ultraman Gaia movie. I said, What? And I said, you were you did a previous Ultraman film? And about, I don't know, 15, 17, 17 years ago or something, there was one English dub of an Ultraman movie that I guess Image did or something. And she played the voice of a child in it. And I said, my God, what are the odds of that? You know, I mean, out of the thousands of actresses that I went through and hundreds of listens to and you know, I mean, the odds of that statistically were impossible, right? It was one of those weird things. But uh, I did have, <laughs> I, I do know a lot of celebrities, and this one guy, it was kind of funny. Uh, I said to him, I said, do you want to, I went to him, I said, do you want to do a, a voice in this thing and, and just for fun and blah, blah, blah. And he looked at his bill, this is like, this is like a Godzilla thing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> 
says, I'm a serious actor. I'm, I was, you know, nominated for an Oscar. I can't do this thing. I said, oh, come on. Wouldn't you do it just for shits and giggles? You know, for your shits and giggles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he could even do it. He could even do it uncredited, you know? You know? <laughs> the minute he saw Zygorg. <laughs> I think that that was, Zygorg is a big kind of Godzilla-looking creature. The minute he saw that, I think that was, <laughs> I think that was the end of that. But anyway, it's it's... Neither here nor there. Well, I think actually just from what you've been saying, though, like the it is it takes a very talented actor to do these voices properly. Like, I think it's got to be a challenge, you know, to yes, and you know, sometimes there's tongue twisters. You know, the dialogue is is I mean, I try to really make it as great as I can. But there's every now and then there's a real tough tongue twister. Beth Ann Sweezer is a wonderful voice actress that we work with and. She played the voice of Chiaki in Ultraman X, the movie. And there was a line in there. Uh, it went something like, Zygorg's spines, Zygorg's spines have transformed into clones of Kaiju Demaga. <laughs> <laughs> the, the monster released spines off of his back, which actually morphed into other creatures in the scene. So she had a hell of a time because <laughs> you had to say the line real fast. Zygorg spines have transformed into clones of Kaiju Jamaga. <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh! <laughs> you know, it was, <laughs> it was, it was. She just, you know, we we did like ten takes of that. It was hilarious. We were all howling, laughing, laughing. You know, going back to the anime stuff, there were times where there was lines in anime that, you know, there was always once in a blue moon there was always a, an Ed Wood moment. You know, and I remember this one voice actor is a Hollywood guy, veteran guy. He'd go into, he'd look at the line as it about to appear, and you know he's one of the guys who would rehearse but not quite remember all the lines that he was supposed to do until he saw it in the booth. And he's he'd, he'd read the line ahead of time to look at it, and he turns to me and says, "You got to be kidding!" <laughs> and I say, "No, I'm not. You got that's the line. I did the best I could. Couldn't. There was no way for me to fix that one." <laughs> Well, a lot of it, especially you know. in those types of movies, like particularly Ultraman, a lot of the stuff you're saying, a lot of it is techno babble too, right? All the various technologies and things you have to describe and say, and yeah, stuff. you know, not it, we had a couple, we have a couple tongue twisters in Ultraman. It wasn't so bad in Ultraman. I was talking more about the anime stuff yeah. that we did in the mm-hmm. had some oh, okay. twisters, you know. But um, uh, yeah, so so it's uh, remember too that an actor can speed up or slow down in the middle of a paragraph. So that's another thing that it takes for a, you see my dubbing scripts have certain cues in them. There's certain directions. So if, if I will talk to Joseph and Victoria in this speed, and I took a pause just then, but then all of a sudden I'm talking very fast. There's certain, you know, the voice actor has to be able to know how to speed up and slow down. And also it's any little thing that they do. So if it's a cough or a pant or you're running or you're you got a hiccup or you're 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 crying or you're laughing, if you're if you're jogging or running and panting, how many pants was that? Four, five? I gotta count exactly how many so that they know to do five pants and actually in the booth you know, to when they're running or laughing. For some reason Villains tend to laugh five times. There's five ha ha <laughs> You know, so it's usually that. I mean, I don't know why it is. In anime and everything, ha-ha-ha-ha-ha. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, five ha-has. 
So <laughs> five ha ha. By the way, what type of ha ha is it? Is it is it a is it a h a h a h a ha 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 or is it a h m h m h m? Is it a closed now mouth? Still, now is it or, is it a, or is it a laugh? Regardless. Or is it a laugh through the teeth where the teeth are closed? <laughs> That's an h e h a g h a h. You know. <laughs> so is is it still every five? Little, little, oh my gosh! Every little thing that that would drive you crazy. You must be so good at seeing the finding. You're, you're putting together a 25,000-piece jigsaw puzzle. Oh, my. And any little thing that they do verbally has to be repeated. Everything. And when they fight, if, he, if two humans are getting into a fight, oh, my God, that's really... Sometimes we will... if it. And we have close voice matches. We can weave in and out of the Japanese track for certain things. So, in other words, like, if I got two guys having a fist fight, the, uh, uh, and the panting, sometimes we can use the Japanese track for those little tiny pieces of, if it's exhales, you know? And they're in perfect sync, you know? But uh, other times we can't. And most of the time we can't. We have to redo mm. the whole thing. So... Yeah, it, it is a it is like I said, it's we're rewriting the, the script. We I mean when I say rewrite, we're authentic and faithful to the source material, but every line has to be rewritten because of lip sync and because of the way the mouths are moving. So, uh, we're rewriting it and 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 reacting the whole it's like creating a whole radio show from start to finish basically. Mm-hmm. And then we're editing the picture. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny, too. Sometimes people think that an English subtitled version will be more authentic than the dub. But let me tell you, that's not always true. Because with subtitles, you can't put, you can only put so many words on a screen for people to read. And sometimes you have to edit the, I mean, the. you understand the process of subtitles. Sometimes they have to... They have to cut stuff out. So, in a funny way, you could actually get a better handle on a movie watching the dub if you're a fan who only wants to watch subs than watching the sub because the sub will only have enough screen time to put so many lines, especially if there's a lot of dialogue, you know? Oh, that's going to upset the purists (laughs) right there. Well, no, but it's a it's a fact. It's yeah, the truth. that's that's the truth so true. About that's true. There you go. <laughs> well, no, it's very true because it's you know even with um, I know it's going to be Ultraman that the double feature in my town in Toronto is going to be um, this Saturday. Oh, uh, like, it's in your town. Ta- you're yes, you're, you're in Canada. Okay, yes, I'm in Canada. So, but it's you know like on the Facebook page it said sorry purists, we have the you know we only have the dub version, not the subtitle version. And I was thinking just what you were saying here is that it you know it's ex- this is actually more authentic. It, it in a way it is because yeah. you're going to get the whole story. You know, I think. Listen, there's nothing better than a great English dub, and then there's nothing worse than a bad English dub. And and the thing is that our Hollywood quality uh, is, you know, what makes all the difference. I think you know it, mm-hmm. it's just, and you know, in in America, the two places where 
actors go to have careers, basically. If you're a professional actor, you want to be an actor, you want to work in television or film and commercials and whatnot, get an agent, get a manager, do the whole thing, you come to Hollywood. Hollywood is where you go to have a real professional career. Or the other place you go is New York if you want to work on Broadway or you want to work in the theater. There is also some film work and things going on in New York, but primarily New York for theater, Hollywood for film and TV, that's where everybody goes. I'm based in Hollywood. We are basically producing Hollywood productions. And as I said, the majority of the audiences, you know, are going to wind up seeing our our films. So, you. by the way, you'd be surprised at how many... There's some very, very important people. I can't go into it any further. There's some amazingly important people uh, who went to go see the Ultraman double feature in theaters and then contacted me. And, you know, so there's some activity going on with some... uh, I can't, again, I can't go too much into it, but it was kind of like totally out of left field that we suddenly got lots of offers for certain things and certain situations from very famous people that were fans and went to go see it in the theaters. It's not surprising, surprising, though, because you do quality work, and those those films, those Ultraman films, are, are very are very popular. At least, you know, in you know yeah. where they originate in Japan, and they and there is a following for it in the U.S. as evident by the success that you're having. So, mm-hmm. I well, think let me that say, that, when I was a kid, when, let me just say this: when I was a kid, uh, when I was in elementary school, I would when I was like in fourth grade, fifth grade, I would like around the mid 70s like what 1975 74 i would come home from school do my homework have some milk and cookies and when i was done i turn on the tv and i would watch monday through friday the original english dubbed ultraman show and i loved it and all my friends all these guys from school loved it it was like watching a little godzilla movie every day we thought the monsters were cool and we loved it. And then afterwards, of course, was Speed Racer. You know, they ran that show. So mm-hmm. those were things that we grew up watching. And so I loved it as a kid in, in elementary school. And then many years later, I wind up being the American writer, producer, director of all the new movies. It's really and another stuff. So it's really kind of funny how life works. You know, it was just mm. if you would have said it to me as a kid, someday you're going to be <laughs> doing this stuff. I wouldn't have believed it, you know. But it was just a lot of fun. E.G. Subaraya was a genius. He was the man who, I mean, when you really think about it, he's the guy who created Godzilla and Rodan and Mothra and King Ghidra and all those monsters and the Gargantuas. And, you know, I mean, really, the special effects man, he he really created those characters, arguably. And, and physically, he did do, create them. And so uh, not only did he create Godzilla, but he created the greatest superhero in Japan, Ultraman, the most famous, uh, iconic superhero. In the country of Japan, the three biggest sci-fi fantasy brands or franchises, the classics, are Godzilla, Ultraman, and Power Rangers. And that's pretty much it. You could say Gamera, but 
those are the big three. Those are the top three. So I'm honored and I'm humbled and I'm thrilled to be part of this iconic uh, property brand franchise, you know. So and it's 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 loved all over the world and all over the Asian countries and in South America and all of these movies in Japan, especially tons of kids. It's 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 a huge kid market. Again, remember, Bandai Toy Company sells its toys and product lines. Yes, they have collector toys for adults and fans and such, but primarily it's a lot of children. So, uh, you know, it's 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 a big deal, you know, and it. So I take it very seriously. It's I I, I think that I have a. I always felt I had kind of a moral obligation to E.G. Subaraya to to do the very best job that I could, and my voice actors can, and my editors could to make the best uh, authentic uh, lip sync perfect dubs that we can make you know it's very difficult it's very hard what we do and uh but but it's it's all working out beautifully and and you know so far it's all it's all going good now did you have to uh compose new music for the films or were you able to use the original uh japanese scores no it's all it's all japanese music it's all Japanese music. We have some things coming up where, and I've done this in the past, where an actress sings a song playing a guitar. And so I may hire a professional actress to do that, and I may rewrite the lyrics to do that. Um, have her singing in English. Um, but generally, we don't mess around with the music, you know. Yeah, I, I remember. Mm, yeah. I remember you know, some last... fan is going to figure out now what I'm, what I was just talking about. I just <laughs> yeah, last, they're last... now going to know. They're now going to know what what next movie we're going to. One of the next movies we're going to do. <laughs> going to do because you what you just mentioned. Yeah. Oh no. Uh, I was, was going to say. I was going to say because when you were here last time, you'd mentioned when we were talking about your your anime. You had talked about how you didn't have have the rights to certain music so you and your composer had to go in and redo the entire score because oh yeah it yeah that's cleared right. or something but, Some, but in this were, case yeah we never had to we never had to redo an entire score of a show but when it came to some of the toei animation stuff uh i think it was like Adventures of Nadja, Lum Lum the Flower Girl. You, told, you were telling me you, were tell, yeah. you told me about Fist of the we North had to, Star. We had to redo the music. Redo it. What was that? You told me about I, Fist of the North Star too, where you had to go in and redo the music and the theme. Oh yeah, it, that, but that was the same music. Yeah, that was the same Fist of the North Star theme. Only we had to make a new version of it here. It was the same exact tune, but. Uh, we had to make a uh, Hollywood one here because there was a problem with the original. I don't know. It, it, there were music rights problems with some of that Toei anime stuff. Not Guy King, not Dan Gardace, not... Well, yes, yeah, Starzinger had a different... Starzinger had some stuff you had to change, too? I, I recently watched Starzinger again. Starzinger I, had I a... Starzinger... Okay, the opening theme and the, the opening music... The opening title music and the ending title music of Starzinger was that had to be redone. I remember 
Oh, okay. Because there was a rights issue, but it was sort of a Star Wars fan. To be honest with you, I think our our music was much better than the kind of <laughs> the original. The original Starzinger music was kind of you know it, it sounded kind of like a merry-go-round. It was kind of clink, clunky a little bit. You right, know, you gave it you gave it more of a sci-fi you know flair. I gave it more of a. I, I yeah. said to Mel, I said, give me give me kind of a Star Wars type of a <laughs> very grandiose. Because you know it was these three characters that were on a mission with the princess, and they were like, "Yeah, those are great. Those are they were androids, right?" Yeah. Well, I was, I was the, I was, I was one of those androids. I was Sir Jogo, right? Yeah, you oh, yes. were Sir Jogo. Sort of, you were sort of very, a very, um, a kind of, a, kind of a nerdy type of guy. You spoke like this a little bit, didn't he? Yeah, and, he, and you had, and you had like, and that was good because you you broke all the you broke all the episodes down into. Into a trilogy of, of of films, and it was it was yes. done really well. I was impressed with the way that they the way that they packaged that. That came out nice. Yeah, yeah. Shout Factory sells those. Uh, Shout Factory released or still re- is still releasing nine of my anime films from Toei Animation. Uh, the Guy King, the movie collection, Dan Gardais yeah, movie collection, and Starzinger, the movie collection, and. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, Toei Animation had wanted to do trilogies, and and it was all their their brainchild. You know, they told me what to do, and we did it. So, yeah, they turned out great. You know, there's a huge following for Guy King and Dan Gardais and Starzinger and all that. All those shows; those were very classic. Uh, Captain Space Pirate, Captain Harlock, as well. One, one thing I could one thing I could say though about about your dubs too is I like how a lot of the stuff that you the stuff that you did with those and we didn't get a chance to touch on this last time you were here, but a lot of the stuff that you you did has a very classic and yet modern feel at the same time, which is something I really you know appreciated about about those dubs for those particular projects because really uh-huh. you know when you watch when you watch like Starzinger in particular and Guy. Mm-hmm. King it it does they do they all have you know uh, space opera type um, you know a space opera type story going forward and it all feels so and it all felt so you know so authentic and true to the Japanese stuff but then at the same time like you talked about your process of having to go through and and make adjustments and changes and making the script better for for American audiences and it just came out came out so well i mean I, I i hope more of your projects that you've done uh for toy animation actually end up getting released because that's those are those are some great things and people are missing out on that if they haven't had a chance to check those out yet because i'm yeah sure. yeah those it looks were like those they're gonna be going big... out of print soon because those have been out <clears throat> for a while huh yeah i i of course toy animation controls all of that but i would urge fans to write toy animation say they want you want to see them they were released uh, uh internationally and such uh i think some of the best uh some of the best stuff we did we did two movies of kitaro gegegeno kitaro kitaro's kitaro's graveyard gang which was about ghouls and monsters it was sort of like the adams i still haven't had like, a chance to get those i when you were on here last time you mentioned those it was like the adams family or the monsters and that those yeah. were i those were the best shows we ever did for toy i think you know toy had a changeover with with presidents and such so uh, there was a lot of uh you know the company leadership had changed so there was a big uh, uh, 
I don't know what they're going to be doing now, you know. But I'm I'm so swamped with, you know, uh, like I told you, I have some anime coming from a <clears throat> uh, another studio, and I'm just swamped with Ultraman productions right now. So that's that's keeping us busy, you know. So I, think, can... I think what you're recognizing. I think when you say you like the quality of the work, it's authentic to the Japanese, but at the same time. Again, it's my Hollywood studio. Cre- it's how we do it. We're we're giving these a Hollywood, the Hollywood voice actors, my Disney editors. We're giving it kind of a Hollywood uh, production value, but staying true to the uh, Japanese original. That's what makes my diff- my company different, I think, from others, because I'm not. I'm always aiming to try to reach a big, giant, mainstream audience, you see. I'm always going for the 330 million Americans. I'm, you know, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not trying to target it for just a small, little minority audience, you know, because uh, that's not what the studios want me to do, you know. So I, you know, and, and it works out. It works beautifully, like I say, what... You know, with the theatrical business we've just done, and you know, I'm I'm, I'm just it, it's been very successful. You know, I, yeah, I I think like so many so many projects. You know, you'd mentioned you did, you had just said about writing toe about toying about your your projects, and I, and I, it's funny because after we did the show that you the show that you were on last time, I actually did write them about your other projects, and I never got a reply. I even sent them a link to the show we did. So, oh, I was I was hoping I was hoping I would hear back from someone in regards to it, at least about you know possible localization of some of the stuff that you did, particularly. Um, Fist of the North Star, as that is my favorite Japanese property. So I was, so I, you know, but it, but it's just it's just amazing. I, I would hope that people would do that, and you you know, and maybe you would see something, you would see more releases as a result of of that. Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely it's well. Definitely just keep trying. Stuff. You know, the the squeaky wheel gets the oil. <laughs> yeah. Just keep trying. Yeah, you know, that's 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 I, true. You know, they they had a they had like I said they had a turnover over there. The 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 yeah. people running the company are different from the people that were running it when I was working with them. So, uh, just keep trying. You know, but mm-hmm. um, a lot of companies are aware of how successful we we are with the Ultraman stuff and. The, uh, well, I think Ultraman is probably going to open more more doors for William Winkler Productions. Oh ultimately. yes, definitely. That's what it sounds like. I mean, in particular, I mean, when I like I said, I keep going back to when I talked to my friend and he told me about what a wonderful experience it was and how it was the best dubbed films he'd ever seen. I I, I, I was like, wow, that's amazing. I said, I I, I know William Winkler. I talked to him before. I'm gonna, I'll have him on again. I said that uh-huh. that's great. I, I always love hearing about hearing about that's that wonderful. because I'm and a big I, and fan. I and I that I've heard that same story a lot. Mm. You know, yeah, I'm so thrilled. You know, I mean, it 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 all works out. You know, so I'm I'm I. It makes me very happy that that uh, you know. It, it, there, people are enjoying the films and getting entertained by them. And when they're beautifully dubbed, you you really take in so much. I mean, I, I've said this before. Think about what happens on a movie set. 
you've got, okay, you're shooting a scene. The location manager has picked out the most gorgeous location that he or she could find. Okay? And you've got this cameraman, the DP, the director of photography, working with the lighting guys to try to set up the lighting just right so it's perfect. The camera's on the dolly tracks, and you're setting up this wide shot, or maybe it's on a crane, a camera crane or whatever. And then the makeup people and the hair people are trying to make the actors look great. And the special effects team, they're setting up the effect shot and tinkering and tinkering for for maybe an hour to get it all right. And then finally the director calls action, and there's this fantastic cinematic experience with all this gorgeous stuff going on visually and when it finally finally winds up on the silver screen in a big movie theater if it's subtitled for or foreign audiences the audience is looking at the bottom half of the screen and they're missing the (laughs) entire cinematic experience your brain can't do two things at once you can't be reading and focusing on the words and you know letting that all register and see the top part of the movie theater screen at the same time when you're looking at the bottom of the movie theater screen or the tv mm-hmm. screen so you can't it defeats the purpose of cinema cinema is a visual experience and so that's why if you have a fantastic high, super high quality English dub, the audience can sit back and relax and look at the wide screen and see that beautiful shot that the director worked so hard, so many hours to get, and the lighting guy spent all that time and the DP and the all the people. That's what that's what makes a a uh, great cinematic experience and what I think your friend is seeing, too, is that he was then registering or his brain was recording all this other data, all this other information of visual stuff going on and all the words and the actions of the actors and the monsters and the thing. So, you know, you really you take it all in and you and, and it, it's a totally different experience uh, mentally when you watch a film like that rather than reading it, you know? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I agree. I agree. I think I think if you've done your job very well, no one notices the dubbing. <laughs> you know, right. it's, a, it's a catch-22. Like, if you've, if, like you said, some people think they can do it, and you watch it, and all you see is the mismatch. Yeah, I know. Nope. It's, a, it, it, it's, it's really, really hard. And, so, like, and when I, you... When you rewrite the scripts, when you rewrite the scripts, you have you go go through all this, and you talk about how you have to how you have to sync up with the dubbing with the things you say. Doesn't that make it more difficult to write a script because your scripts have to match what the Japanese actors are saying visually? I mean, not what they're actually saying, but visually when their mouths move. You mean? Is it hard for me to change to say the same thing? To come up with, yeah, to come up with the right words to say to match the mouth movements when you're doing a localization like that. No, because I it's now second nature. I'm able it's to second do- nature. Yeah. You know when I, I yeah not trying to boast when I the, part of the reason I went into show business <clears throat> was when I was growing up as a kid in elementary school, junior high school, high school. I was put in advanced placement classes. I was considered a very, like a, 
a very smart, advanced kid, especially in English. I was put in AP English classes. So, like, when I was, like, in, in 10th grade, I'd be put in the, the seniors class, you know. And I always looked about you know, seven years younger than my age. So <laughs> oh, no. I'd be in high school and I'd look like a kid and I'd be in a senior's class, you know, and I, I, I you know, I, I would I, I would be really one of the top students in English. I was a very good English student. But, you know, I'd see some pretty girl or something and I'd look, <laughs> I'd look like I'm 12 years old, you know, and she'd be like, you know, more like she's 19 or something, you know, and she wouldn't want to have anything to do with me because I looked like a little boy or something, you know, it was funny. But uh, I was always I was always very good at, at at creative writing and coming up with funny, you know, rhymes and songs and poems and <laughs> jokes and you know I so for me to be able to take a sentence and then rewrite it in many different ways to make it fit, lip sync, you know, you've got it. The other thing too, as I said before. And this is something that I learned with Don Richardson at UCLA. Don Richardson was the Emmy Award-winning TV director and taught Anne Bancroft and Grace Kelly and Zero Mostel and John Cassavetes and all these people. It's really uh, the actor has to think the thoughts of the actors on the screen, and you've got to, as I said before, acting's 80% emotion. The actor, the Hollywood actors have to feel and replicate the exact emotions that those actors on screen are feeling and experiencing. That's the key. I'm very good at directing an actor if there's, you know, to try to get that emotional performance right. Many times I don't have to direct that much because my Hollywood actors all, I mean, I would have already gone through it in the rehearsal with them by the phone or whatever weeks ahead of time that they know uh, they know what emotions they're going to have to play to do it, you know? Like, <clears throat> I even did this in the anime with Dan Gardais. It was one of the movies in Dan Gardais. Did you, Joseph, did you see the Dan Gardais movies, all three of them? The, yes, I did. Yes. Yeah. Okay. There was a scene, remember, the father dies of Takuma, the guy who plays Dan Gardais, who pilots the robot. His father dies right. in the second movie. Right. And so he cries his eyes out, he's upset, he's, you know, whatever. And I remember the voice actor in the booth who played him, I directed him to go ahead and go full blast and feel the emotion. And the guy was, like, crying and bawling his eyes out in the recording booth, you know. So that performance worked. In a cartoon, you felt sad because he was really fulfilling the part emotionally so that's what we do with the ultraman movies as well you know so but uh yeah so it it, you know i'm able to move kind of quickly with with the scripts you know to answer your question and then and then and then it's all but but it's again the whole syncing up my whole thing was just the whole technical aspect of syncing up with the actual voices so that it doesn't look off 
See, because that's another thing. He, that's another thing he complimented. He, he, that's another thing my friend complimented about your about your movie. I listened to everything you said because I was like, I know I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask William Winkler about this. He's like, he's like, he's like, even when they were, you know, in the dubbing and when they were speaking, you couldn't tell. It was as though it was, you know, it was. English that he was saying you couldn't tell that it was you know Japanese you couldn't tell that it was dubbed and that was you know and and that was one of the things that he had mentioned to me about it about your about the ability to make it so that it's authentic and it looks like those are the words that are actually being said by the Japanese actor so I that's why I was just a little bit curious about the process that goes into that because you can't just say anything because the words have to sync up with the Mm. with the actors faces so it's right okay now so let me explain it, it again the it, it has a lot to do with my script and my direction and my instructions and when we go one line at a time uh, it you're almost perfect at that stage even in the dubbing booth stage you're you're nearly perfect it's like 98 awesome. 99% close then in the post production using the digital editing systems we're able to just do that little half a percent slide to the right or left to get it dead on perfect. But in some cases, we don't even have to do that because we, oh, will, have okay. gotten, we will have gotten it dead on in the in the recording booth, actually, in, in, in the, the original take we got. Again, it has to do with my scripts. The script is everything. The script mm. is the foundation upon which everything is built. If that dubbing script is off, the whole thing com- collapses like a house of cards. It's all it's all based on the script. That's that my scripts are what make it work. I mean, I'm not saying that to sound like a like I'm boasting, but it's just it it's my directions, it's like instructions on how to construct a house. And that's mm. what my scripts are like. So I've got everything there, everything you need to do to make the dub, including the coughing and the laughing and the panting and the whatever they do, <laughs> anything that comes out of their mouth, you know. That is amazing. So, oh, that's funny. Yeah. Well, you know what? We're, what we're going to do? We're going to take a quick break here, and uh, when we come back, we'll you know we'll wrap we'll wrap things up. Give you a chance, give you a chance to breathe. Uh, once again, we have uh, William Winkler as our special guest for tonight's episode of the Zod Writer Show, and we will be right back.
Welcome back. We are back here on PSN Radio and with with our special guest, guest uh, William Winkler, who has been do- talking to us about the, uh, the the amazing undertaking of English dubbing the Ultraman films mm-hmm. that are currently playing in theaters across the U.S. and Canada. In limited engagements, of course, but just the fact that these films are being released in theaters at all says a lot about says a lot about the quality of the product and the popularity of Ultraman as a whole. I, I, I'm just I'm just amazed at how how fantastic it all sounds. It sounds like it sounds like everybody involved had a great time. Do you have a do you have a favorite moment that you could tell us about when that that sticks out in your mind from from dubbing these Ultraman films? A favorite moment. Um a favorite moment. You know, I think that just watching the finished films is magical. I mean, just to see it now, all. Now, were you able you were able to do that? Now, were you able to do that once everything was done and wrapped? You were able to watch them or did you end up seeing them no, for the it, first time it, in theater? No, you... it, it it takes a f- Well, no, I work with my editors, my my guys from Disney and and we piece the films together after the recording sessions and it takes time of course for us to do that and but i'm talking about when i do the final review of the picture when it's basically it's locked when the movie's locked and done that's a magical time for me Mm. and there are a lot of funny scenes in the movies you know i mean uh in Ultraman X, that script, that script was a very good script that the Japanese writers wrote. It almost follow, it kind of followed a uh, Hollywood storytelling structure, a classic Hollywood storytelling structure. It was almost like a Hollywood movie. That's why I, I thought it would be great to do a limited theatrical run of the pictures, because Ultraman X was a, is a very special movie. I think it's a very, that story is a very good story. There's character. There are characters in it that are great, and some of them are very funny. And there's great lines in that movie, and there's great scenes where the audience is just, I mean, the audience will just crack up laughing at certain points. And they're, you know, those are are some favorite moments of mine. There's a character named Carlos Kurosaki, who is a reality show host who's kind of a, a hammy, egocentric, reality television star you know in the story and he's trying to uh, uncover things and he he captures this uh, this strange mysterious stone and uh, anyway his character does hilarious things for his ratings of his show and he causes a lot of problems when monsters break loose and <laughs> All sorts of things go on, you know. I don't want to give it away, but, uh, you know, Justin Andrews was the Hollywood actor of Carlos Kurosaki, and he was, he kind of steals the show. Larry Butler also is Dr. Grumman. Hilarious. Very funny. You know, now, how did you? Yeah, how did you find the humor part of it? Because that's got to be the hardest thing to translate. Like you know, not now you've got you know got to meet the the mouth. The you've got to make sure the lyrics yeah. are not lyrics, but the, the the wording is 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 close. And now we have to be funny because now we need timing too. I mean, that's yeah, got to it, be. It, it's I've I've done it a lot, and I I have a little bit of. Um, 
creative license to add a little bit of humor within the context of what we're doing. And, and, and that's what makes it work. And it's, it worked beautifully. And Subaraya knew that I was going to do that and they approved mm-hmm. my doing it because they thought it was funny. But it's not that I added com. I mean, the scene was already there. Certain, there are certain little comedy relief scenes in the pic, in the Ultraman X movie mm-hmm. that basically I'm, I'm telling the same joke. Only I'm phrasing it in an American way, making it even more funny. I mean, there's there the audience winds up roaring with laughter at certain things that Carlos does. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a clown. You know, it's kind of like Jonathan Harris was in Lost in Space. You know, but that but that's I can see why that's your favorite because the the amount of talent and you know. Uh, basic you know what you put into it to make it funny because you know i mean i've i've i, I just jokes in major languages don't always translate very right, well right. <laughs> yeah comedy doesn't work but you gotta really i have a way to make it work and it it will be funny if if i'm given if i'm allowed to have that little bit of wiggle room i yeah. i can i can make it Great, and right, it's still- because otherwise you end up with unintentionally funny lines that come in that are, <coughs> yeah. are not supposed to be funny, but it's lost in translation, and you know there's yes, a lot of that exactly. in anime. <laughs> so right, and the guy, and the and the um, the actor who played Carlos Kurosaki is a is a Japanese man named Michael Tomioka, I believe. Yeah, that's how it's Tomioka. Very talented guy, very funny. And he'd done a whole series. He does comedic television commercials in Japan for some noodle, uh, sort of like a top ramen type of a product, you know. And and he's dressed as a superhero character, but he's a comedic one. And so he's been doing these ads for years, you know. He's famous for for doing them. And they hired him to do this comedic bit. But Now, don't get me wrong. The show's not a comedy. These are not comedy movies, mm-hmm. but there's some humor that... that those are you're talking about the great moments, you know. But uh, anyway, it, it, it's just uh, you know the old Ultraman series used to be dubbed with a Asian accents. They would use these kind of phony, you know, Hayata, the monster Memra is inside the rig. Oh yes, I know. Oh Fuji, where you been? Yeah, you know, this type oh, of thing. You know? <laughs> That's how they used to they used to use these phony <laughs> accents, you know. Right. Oh Fuji, it's nice to see you. <laughs> Oh, what was your name? Oh, what what was that giant's name, Hayata? Oh, he's Ultraman. What do you think of that name, Ito? Oh, I think it is ultra good. You know, I mean, th- these type of accents were used. And at the time, 50 years ago, it would have seemed a little strange to see Japanese people speaking perfect English, you know. So they thought a lot of people had accents, you know. English was not their first language it was their second language so uh it made sense but in this day and age we didn't do any of that of course uh, that there's no need to do anything like that i wouldn't do it so the actors all speak just like normal you know again my whole goal is to make it contemporary asian americans living and working in hollywood speaking their native american tongue and that's how we how we did it. But I'm I'm friends with Corrine Orr, who was the voice of Trixie and Spritel and all the female characters in Speed Racer, and she was one of the classic teacher voice actresses, and she did voices in Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster, playing the two twin fairies of Mothra, Mothra's twin 
characters and a lot of the uh, a lot of Gamera movies and such. But she was also an Ultraman, and she used to do the same thing. She said, "Oh, that had to do sort of an accent of a giant." Oh, you know. But uh, I keep joking with her today. I say, you know, one of these days we have to get you, have you come out and do one of these Ultraman movies so you'll be back again doing something, you know, in Ultraman, in the Ultraman universe. But won't be speaking yeah. in an accent. Yes, no. no. <laughs> yeah, that's- you know, everything changed. The technology changed, too, you know. Back in the day, I used to edit 16-millimeter film. We were editing film stock. I was on a movie oh. cutting film, and we were looping to film, and... I mean, this was like around 1983, 84. So, and then it all changed. It went from film to tape, and then it went to digital. Now it's so streamlined and easy. It's uh, it's remarkable what we can do today, you know. And mm-hmm. so in some cases, I can upload stuff and send it to Japan. They get it right instantaneously. Whereas before, I would have had to FedEx it, or you know. I mean, we. I used to use. I don't know if anybody remembers telexes. I used to send telex. I used to communicate by telex to uh, Japan, which was like a. It was sort of like a, a fax, but it it would send out these little. It was like a. It was like a telegram, basically. Oh wow! Overseas, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> telex. If you look it up on your phone, telex. T e l e x. I mean, oh my. that's that's what we used to have when we would be dealing with Japanese studios back in the eighties. Wow! <laughs> it all changed, you know. But I do, I, I do sort of miss though of that era. Like Tatsunoko was a family-owned company. A lot of the studios were owned by families. You know, Subaru used to be owned by a family. It wasn't like a corporation. It was, you mm. know. Uh, so it was a lot easier to get things done rather than dealing with a board of directors, you yes. know. But um, Subarai is great, uh, but I, I think that the some of the anime companies got, you know, when there's a giant committee, it gets a little tough to really make creative. Uh, it makes business deals, it takes longer. Well, Did because they this? want things the way they want them, right? It's a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a set plan that they have when they hire their, when they get their dubbing, the dubbing you to come in like a dubbing company to say, okay, we want you to do this movie, but you have to do it this way. Is there? Do they have more mandates? No. They usually let me have creative control over that. Well, that's oh, well, good. that's good. Yeah, that's they trust me. They know what I do. I, I mean, I have a reputation, so they they trust what I do. I'm talking about the actual. Decision-making, I think, takes a long time. Whereas if it was a family-run company, the guy who runs the company just says, oh, you want to do that? Okay, fine, boom, it's done. Mm-hmm. But if it's, a, if, it's a, if it's a big corporation, it has to go through multiple departments, they got to have meetings about it, you know. Things take a little longer than if it was just one guy making a decision. Yes. It's almost like the trade-off you get from the convenient, the conveniences of technology versus having to go through all of these all of these people for decisions. You can do things faster, but then you have to have to wait wait it out longer when you want to make when you have adjustments. Well, there's some politics now because it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you know, everyone has to have their voice or at least feel they have their voice. Another thing I, I wanted to mention, too, and I keep mentioning the, the fact that my friend had seen both of these, these dub, this double feature of yours. Another thing he mentioned that he was very, very impressed with was the family-friendly quality of the films. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, because Ultraman is is definitely awesome. And in, in my, well, in my opinion, it's definitely better than, say, Power Rangers. But can you can you talk a little bit about that being such a family friendly product? Well, it's it's basically uh, it's E.G. Subaraya's concept. I mean, the original Ultraman show was a kids and family show. That's mm. what it was. It was meant for kids. It was meant for families, and it was a huge success. The Ultraman characters are strong, heroic, moral, ethical, kind, smart, uh, brave superheroes from space. You know, um, that's what they are. And they're like traditional comic book superhero characters that we used to have in this country. When DC Comics, you know, when you look at DC Comics... Uh, the 1940s, 1950s, Superman, Batman, Aquaman, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, The Flash, The Justice League, Wonder Woman even. Mm -hmm. These were all traditional, classic, heroic characters. These were not anti-hero, pissed-off, angry, bitchy, you know, dark characters who didn't like being superheroes who were just had problems and issues and headaches and whatever every single superhero today now is an anti-hero with mental problems whereas, <laughs> whereas, whereas <laughs> issues, or other issues you know, versus <laughs> but i mean you know <laughs> but the, and it's and it's really it's it's re- the whole thing is absurd when you really think about it isn't it and so <laughs> And so it, it's just, it's insanity. Yeah. T- so I, I think, so what's interesting, what's a breath of fresh air, finally, at least we have one group of classic traditional heroes in the Ultraman universe with Ultraman. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, a good like thing that. too. That it didn't, you know that I mean? it didn't go all that it didn't go all dark and sophisticated, and it didn't change. Yeah. It didn't change. It updated its it updated its look and and got a little more and got a little more modernized, but I, didn't change yeah. the core values of the characters. Which well, is, it, which I awesome. think I think too many um, uh, films these days are are to be made edgier. Which I don't necessarily agree well, with. Yeah, I kind of like to, this squeaky clean Superman. Audience. You know, yeah, exactly. I mean, not to go, you know, date myself, but you know, like with Christopher Reeve, he was Mister Squeaky Clean. Like you know, this new Superman hey, versus Batman. You can't get you can't get better with Superman than him. Right? No, <laughs> was the, he Absolutely. was the perfect guy. He was per- and George Reeves, the original television guy. Oh, he was great too. Yes, right. but I mean, I mean. You know, exactly. I mean, that's a whole other story. I mean, remember, my history in in Hollywood goes back to around 1934, 1935, when my father 
mm-hmm. got into show business here when Charlie Chaplin got my dad, Charlie Chaplin's wife, Mildred Harris Chaplin, got my dad into show business. And my dad worked in over 80 movies and over 200 radio shows with all the stars of the golden age of Hollywood, the 1930s and the 1940s, with Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney and Edward G. Robinson and the Little Rascals and W.C. Fields and Betty Davis and Bob Hope and Jack Benny and all the cowboy stars of Gene Autry and Roy Rogers and all that. I come from that classic background my dad had an incredible career as a teenager and an adult and and then became a successful entertainment attorney representing all these people so hollywood made a major that that classic hollywood era no longer exists it, it will never come back and it hollywood today i have met a lot of a-list producers a-list directors. I've had experiences with them. And I just don't, honestly, I just don't think that they, a lot of them get it. I, I, it's, mm. just, it's, it's entertaining entertainment. So I think Hollywood has kind of gone off the deep end. I, I, I don't know, uh, you know, I, I just... Well, they've lost the the entertainment idea that it's like, there's got to be grittier, it's got to be edgier. It's like, it's just which is know, complete, which is complete and utter BS. Yeah, I mean, it's like the. I, I think like when you go back to the classic Hollywood with the, it was you know, it let me escape out of my existence for two hours, and it was just larger than life. Like if you talk about like you know Judy Garland and 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 everything else, like for me, those movies, it's it's an escapism. You know, it is pure entertainment. It's not making me think about you know global warming or you know if you know right. whether batman and superman are on the same side <laughs> i know it's so it's so it, it really is it, it really i think that they're just it's just is it, isn't it isn't it started it started it's crisis it's holly it's a midlife crisis <laughs> no, it first. started let me tell you it started it started around the 1980s and in the 1990s especially, it, it began to... Well, you see, all the moguls died or retired. So in the 1970s, you had a lot of the hippies that went into show business, and then the hippies were making movies. And then in the 80s is when it really began to change. So, I, I mean, that, that's the sad thing. I mean, I know I'm, I'm, I'm kind of making generalizations, but the bottom line is that I personally believe that... Uh, Hollywood has kind of lost its way, and uh, I, I don't. And all these remakes of old television shows. And, oh yes, and they completely. You know that Lone Ranger. What, the Lone Ranger is one of the greatest characters in the world, and those old shows were great. And to take that property and just completely ruin it. That Lone Ranger movie was a disaster. Oh, absolutely. And, I and actually I, didn't see it. I, I couldn't bring myself know, to see I it. I happen to know Don Moore, who's Clayton Moore's daughter. I mean, we. let me tell you, I, get in, I got invited to go to the Autry Museum, the Gene Autry Museum in, mm-hmm. in L.A., to talk. They had, they had a thing called Sons and Daughters of the West. They had Roy Rogers' daughter there, Cheryl Rogers, talking about her dad. They had Don Moore there talking about her father, the Lone Ranger. They had me there talking about Bobby Winkler from all the westerns that my dad did as a kid in the Golden Age. And we all talked about our fathers and what it was like to, you know, for them to be involved in classic western movies and cowboy pictures and whatnot. 
And so I was invited to go to that Lone Ranger picture with, you know, so I went to the Academy, the Motion Picture Academy, to see it. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Silver was galloping on top of roofs of a, of a town, and uh, they just took the character and de- deconstructed him. Everything that the Lone Ranger stood for, everything that was written, they, they completely changed. And Tonto was completely changed. And everything, and not for the, it was a complete disaster. I, I don't think that, honestly, I don't think Hollywood can make a traditional hero movie or a traditional Western. I don't think that Hollywood could make a John Wayne Western today. They, would, really they would think that it would, they probably would say that it wouldn't, that it wouldn't sell in today's society. I don't, I don't buy it for a minute. It's not, no. that's absolutely wrong. I I, yeah. I I agree with you. I, I think people want to be entertained. There is, I mean, there is. It's it's substance. Obviously, you want some substance, but I think it doesn't have to necessarily. Uh, you know, like I I don't think we have to reinvent the wheel. I think especially exactly. with classic characters like you're talking about. And the thing is, with like getting back to the Ultraman stuff, mm. now these characters are complicated, and they've got all sorts of interesting backstories and everything else. Oh yeah. But, but the core of what they are have more in common with you know classic traditional comic book superheroes mm-hmm. than today's contemporary you know antihero superheroes that have issues. Yes. You know. <laughs> every superhero <laughs> has issues today. You're right. Every it's, every, it's, every superhero has a mental case. You know. Yeah, it's it's got it's just, see, like I, I can be a little rough around the edges. I'm at a point in my life I don't give a shit. You know. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm at a point in age. I I kind of know certain things. I'm kind of. I knew. <laughs> I knew an. I knew an actor who's very famous guy and. <laughs> He starred in a famous show, and they asked him to come to Hollywood, to Universal and stuff. And, and he, he, for a meeting, they wanted to redo one of his classic shows. <laughs> and, and he has a cigar. And the the there was a whole group of people, executives or something. And, and you know, this one woman said, "What are you going to do with that?" And he pulls out his cigar. And says, "What do you think I'm going to do with it? I'm going to smoke it." <laughs> he pulls it out and smoking it in front of her. And he said, let's, let's talk about this script. What do you think about this script? And he, he lights it and says, yeah, I was about to talk about that. That script's a piece of shit. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a, certain, there's a certain storytelling structure, okay? I know the traditional classic ways of telling stories, and, and this goes back to the Greeks and the Romans and Shakespeare and all the basic elements of how you, how you write something. And it seems like all the rules are just thrown out the window and, hey, anything goes and everything's a bunch of middles and there's no beginning, middle or end anymore. It just kind of and and it it just I don't know. It's very strange. I think I think it's very deadly because if you don't connect with mainstream audiences or middle America or the rest of the world and you're in kind of this little elitist multi-millionaire bubble of off into Looney Tune land or whatever, um, you're going to make stuff that people can't relate to. You know, I I think, uh, by the way, the funny thing is, going back to Ultraman, this January, again, 
our Ultraman movie double feature played in 40 and has played in 40 major key cities throughout the United States in and Canada. Most of the major cities we made money immediately and we recouped the theatrical investment immediately and it's been nothing but profits and a success. Now, the other movies that were released at the same time uh, in January, uh, you know, the uh, uh, they were Ben Affleck's movie was a huge gigantic bomb. Yeah, it was. Martin yeah. Scorsese's film a complete disaster, and Monster Trucks tanked. Our little Ultraman <laughs> Limited <laughs> thing was, I mean, honestly, I mean, I'm not going to go into the figures. We probably were the number one box office thing in January as far as profit to cost ratio of, of that's you amazing. Know, what we've done. Oh yeah. yeah. So yeah. And, and and think about this for a moment. Subaraya made a film. I made the Hollywood English dub of it with my company. We got it into movie theaters all over the country. It did well, it made money, it made profits. And now we're gonna do other things and there's other stuff going on. And in a way, who the fuck needs Hollywood? I mean, I just did it, right? Being independent Why do I need Hollywood when I've already made a movie that's in movie theaters? I, I, I'm kind of thinking Hollywood might need you. I really do. I think it's going the other way. They gotta. <laughs> I think that we're in a, in a time, thank goodness, we're in a time now where... You know, people have choices now, right? Thank God, right? Mm-hmm. So the audience has a choice. And like your friend, uh, Joseph, and, 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 and many, many other people like they went to the theater, they paid their money, they enjoyed themselves, they loved the movie, they were entertained, they were uplifted, they laughed, they got excited, they saw the ultra characters and lobsters. They were entertained. Between the two pictures, it's about the running time of Star Wars Force Awakens or whatever. So they were thoroughly entertained and they walked away loving the product, being interested in seeing more. Everybody wants to buy the Blu-rays and DVDs of these films. Oh, yeah. And they're interested in getting some of the merchandise, which is great news for Bandai, you know. And uh, it all works. That's what a movie-going experience is supposed to be. That's what it's supposed to be organic. Yeah, I mean, isn't it interesting? To... <laughs> the concept of entertaining entertainment. Mm-hmm. Wow, what a concept, huh? <laughs> I mean, that was the that was the that was. It's so simple. That was the philosophy of classic Hollywood, where my dad came from. That the whole concept was to create entertaining entertainment. Listen, like like Victoria said, the real world is not a great place. There's horrible horrible things going on all over the world life is hard there's neg- there's positives in life and there's negatives in life and everybody goes through positive times and horrible times and the purpose i believe of films and television should be to uplift and entertain mm-hmm. that's my belief i'm an intelligent person i'm a call co- i'm a college educated guy i don't need to, to be educated from a fucking movie okay i want to be entertained okay mm-hmm. i'm smarter than the writers of the movie I, 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 you know, I mean, I don't need to be talked about whether it's, it's, it's history or whether it's politics or whether it's this or whether, whatever the subject is, you know, I, I'm already way, I'm 10 steps ahead of the scriptwriter. Entertain me. That's all I want you to do. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how I feel about it. 
Now, if you can tell a little, if you can tell a little story, like what classic Star Trek used to do, and you can mm, tell a yeah. little story, classic fine. Star Trek. That's a that's good fine. <laughs> but but remember, it never got in the way of the entertainment. Remember that it was always an entertaining show first, and the little message came second. You know, I mean that's yes. that's that that's how it worked. Um, Twilight Zone, same thing. Rod Serling had messages, yeah. but it never got in the way of entertainment. He always had something that was interesting. It was captivating. It kept you on the edge of your seat, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So and, and, and it was kind of like buried, and you thought about it later in a way. Sometimes, Absolutely. like yeah, and it was, it was, like, and it was, it was not always some earth-shattering cerebral thing, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, it was some of his ideas were very basic, basic, you know. Yeah, but he 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 wanted to entertain you, and it was a twist. It was a you know. I just I've I, you know I've said this many years doing interviews going back. I believe in entertaining entertainment. I want to just escape and have fun, and I love classic movies. I love westerns, um, the classic stars. I love the old movie stars. I love John Wayne. You know, I think a lot of those guys were fantastic. We don't have anybody mm-hmm. like John Wayne today. You know, no. I just I I, I I was watching <laughs> I was watching a <laughs> western the other day where he um, some guy stole his horses. And he said, uh, this Mexican guy says, excuse me, Pilgrim, you got my horses there. He says, oh, sir, I'm, senor, I'm sorry, there must be some mistake. He pulls a gun on Wayne. And he says, yep, and you just made it. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh, my, my, I remember my brother-in-law would always like to say, hmm, I, I think I want to go rent me a revenge movie. <laughs> when we used to have blockbuster videos, right? He'd go and buy, oh, you know, my. Yeah. Old Charles Bronson movie. That's what yeah. those were. The Charles Bronson movie it was <laughs> a revenge movie. You know, you just you know somebody does him wrong for the first. Yeah, which which the, which is funny. You know, you, you mentioned the Charles Bronson, the the de- you know the the Death Wish revenge movie, and that's being that's being re- that's being remade. How do you feel about that? I mean, that's <laughs> <laughs> well, every remake, every remake is a is. I think a disaster. It, yeah, it is, it's always a disaster. It well, and it's too because it it's, it requires them to change so much of it that it doesn't. Listen, doesn't. let me tell you this. Let me let me tell you something. <laughs> if I have a recipe, if I have a recipe for buttermilk pancakes, and I put a little extra buttermilk in it, and I put some sugar, and I have a spice I put in it, and I make it, and that's my <laughs> that's my recipe for making buttermilk pancakes. And everybody loves my buttermilk pancakes. And everybody comes from miles around to buy my buttermilk pancakes, and they love it. And then somebody says, I'm going to remake Bill Winkler's buttermilk pancakes. And they use a recipe for a pineapple upside-down fruit cake. Okay? Now, when people buy that, what the hell? This isn't Bill Winkler's buttermilk pancakes. It's an upside-down pineapple fruit cake or whatever. Well, that's what these remakes are. They don't understand if you're gonna if you're gonna remake the Lone Ranger or you're gonna remake any show, you have to go back to what made them successful and duplicate it. But you see, they don't have the talent to do it. They don't. Mm. The e- their ego, the ego, will not ego allow gets them in the way. to do yes. it. They think that they can plus it, but they don't. They make it better. It's like you look at a p- painting of the Mona Lisa. No, I'm going to remake it, but I'm going to make it better. And I'm going to put a mustache on her, and she's going to look gorgeous. And and that's and that's that exactly Hollywood remake. That's their Hollywood remake thing. Yeah, you know? you're right. Believe you're me, right. The reason I say this is I've been around these people. 
I mean, I personally have been in their mansions in Beverly Hills, some of these guys, A-list directors. I, 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 I shake my head. I just say, my God, how on earth did they get to that position? Because I see no talent. Where's the talent? Where's the... There's no... You know, I don't want to keep going about... I don't want to sound negative about it, but the bottom line is that I think that, uh, you know, a lot of these remakes are just, you know, it's sad. They they don't... Well, it's a cash grab, in a way, I think, personally. Just because they're not adding anything to it, and they're they're actually watering down what was special about it in the first place because now we want it to appeal to a greater audience and we want it to appeal to this small group and that group and that and uh, unfortunately and it seems like it backfires more yeah, than it's successful that's for but sure. we don't they don't you, you understand I mean, I'm I, I don't the fact that I'm independent of that whole thing gives me the freedom to say what I can say the bottom line is this I don't think that I don't think that we have the talent anymore, and I don't think that even if we did have the talent that they would want to make traditional, classic, entertaining stuff, or they don't want to remake uh, stuff the way it should be remade. I was great, close friends with Jonathan Harris from Lost in Space, who was Dr. Smith. Now, Lost in Space was no great work of art, you know, I mean, it was a kid show, it was a funny comedy space show in the 60s, very successful, in its own right it was successful, and I love Jonathan, he was like an uncle, great guy, what a wonderful man Jonathan Harris was, and, uh, but every time they tried to remake that show, it was a disaster. That's a great uh, point, it was, it absolutely was. There was a cartoon that Hanna-Barbera made in Australia. It was a piece of shit, pardon me, French. <laughs> and Jonathan did a voice in it. And even he used to tell me, he said, yeah, it was, it was trash. It was horrible. And he was in it. They did that Lost in Space movie. Disaster. They did a, they did a, a, a pilot for TV a series. Pilot. Yeah. Yes, I remember. Total dirt. Total turd. And now, and now it's being again. remade again. <laughs> and it's gonna, and you know, and and they have some woman in her thirties playing Jonathan Harris's part, who was a, oh. you know, sixty-year-old guy with gray hair who did a Shakespearean inflection, and it, I mean, it's the whole thing is different. And also, what people don't understand, for example, like the Lost in Space robot, the Lost in Space robot was created by Bob Kinoshita, who was a Japanese American. Who made a Japanese robot? It has Japan. It has classic Japanese science fiction lines and designs. When you look at the Lost in Space robot, same thing with Robbie the robot from Forbidden Planet. Bob Kinoshita created that, and uh, you know it too had Japanese-ish lines of Japanese sci-fi stuff. If you ever see the Japanese film The Mysterians, you'll understand what I'm saying. But the bottom line is that the attractiveness of the robot of Lost in Space is what really made the show. If you're going to remake Lost in Space, you've got to have that robot. You've got to have the colorful costumes. You've got to have the colorful sets and the fun escapism. There's, there was almost an Alice in Wonderland escapism about Lost mm-hmm. in Space yeah. that they don't understand because they don't have the brain power to, to see that. The color. You know, you can affect people psychologically through color. Part of the reason why the classic Star Trek show is so interesting is the visual look of it, that color, the bright reds, the blues, the greens, the costume, the color stuff. It was almost a zen-looking set. That bridge of Captain Kirk was sort of a zen-looking, you know, ship. So, you know, if you don't duplicate all that stuff, 
then you, you don't, you're not going to have it. Yes. You know? yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like it's almost like that's what that's what remakes are lacking today. They're lacking color. They're, they're drained of all their their color and positive positivity. Well, and, you'll never you know. be able to compete sort of with classic Hollywood with, you know, yeah, like the big Technicolor kind of I mean uh, just, you know, like Cleopatra or something like that. Like it was just like, like it was just so I don't know. It was just beautiful. And, and, yeah, and I think that I don't like Audrey Hepburn and all those, you know, I mean, I don't think that, uh, I don't think Kim, Kim Kardashian exactly <laughs> can, can match, you know, Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> Never. You know what I'm saying? It's like garbage. You got a, you got some solid gold and then you've, you have a beautiful diamond and then you've got trash and garbage from the gutter, you know? Well, my, 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 my father had an old saying, and I always liked the saying. It was like, you lie down with dogs, you come up with fleas. And I really think that yeah. it's more it's more shock value nowadays, too. It's not, There's nothing classical. There's nothing talented. It's just, oh, well, I'm bored, so I'll post a pic of my butt. You know? <laughs> and that's talent. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm kind of glad we don't have smell-o-vision, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, actually, we do. It's part of it's part of uh, virtual reality now. It's called uh, no. it's called aroma. <laughs> oh no! But oh, well, yeah. what was it? John Waters had a movie where you'd scratch a card. What was it called? Sensorama or something? What was that? <laughs> what was that movie that he did where you'd have a card and you'd scratch, scratch and sniff? Remember yeah, what I'm, I'm talking about? Yes, I, yeah. I can't remember what the heck it was. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you know, speaking of, when I, when I was talking about Star Trek, it kind of reminded me, did you guys see the, um, a few years ago, there was that William Shatner roast. And I thought the funniest thing during that roast of William Shatner was when Betty White went up on stage and she said, you know, I hate to tell you this, but I had sex with William Shatner. And they were laughing. She's oh, my God, he was... Puffing and puffing and going town like a jackrabbit and getting all red in the face. And I told him, Bill, Bill, you better hurry up or we'll be late for the roast. This <laughs> <laughs> is like a 90, 90 year old lady, yeah, you know. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Betty White was so funny. Yeah. Oh, I adore her. Yeah, we'll be late for the roast. <laughs> <laughs> I can't find the smell o vision with John Walters. I've been I'm Googling it and I can't find it. Darn it. It was that movie with um It was that movie with Divine, right? Wasn't it? Yes. Grand yes. Grand oh yes. Oh. It was after Pink Flamingos. <laughs> so And it's, oh. it's with it's with it's the movie it's with John Waters, right? It, he directed it, I think. Right. Yeah. Um Anyway, there were there were there've always been sort of gimmicks. William Castle had a lot of gimmicks too, you know, with the polyester, with the, with the tingler and all that stuff. I mean, that would that, I think that would be the next thing I'd do with an Ultraman double feature. You know, by the way, we were gonna we were gonna do that. Well, we were gonna have a guy. <laughs> 
We get a guy in an Ultraman costume running up and down the aisles during the fight scenes or something. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> no, no, but you know, believe it or not, in, in Japan they have meet and greets and they have a guy in an Ultraman costume uh, who will appear in the theater lobby and people can shake hands and meet him and everything else. And they did that in the Philippines when they ran the English... By the way, my English movies are playing all over the world, too, you know, like in the Philippines and such. English mm-hmm. Philippines is an English-speaking country. So it's not just... I mean, remember, <clears throat> my English versions of the Ultraman movies are going to play all over the world. I mean, it's not just in the U.S. and Canada, but... Um, they do that a lot in Japan. They have stage shows. They've got all that. We looked into it for a few theaters. Uh, ultimately, didn't do it. It, it, it. It's a little cost prohibitive, but uh, we actually were considering having the Japanese stuntman come out to a couple of the theaters to make a personal appearance. Uh, we may still do do something like that here in Hollywood for a Hollywood screening of a future thing, but... Um, those costumes are incredibly expensive. They are electrical. There's lights inside of them. These are the costumes that are used for the movies and the television shows. Not just anybody can put the suit on. It has to be one of the trained Japanese stuntmen because there's certain behavior that the characters do when they meet and greet kids. Um, you know, you can only be in that suit for so long. Visibility is almost nil. Uh, you know, so it's a very, there has to be a, a, an assistant with the guy in the suit at all times. Um, there's a lot of complication. The suit is so big, it's made of different materials. Uh, mm. the face is a different material from the body part. You know what I'm saying? So, <clears throat> and the boots are different. So when you ship it from Japan to here, it it's this big giant crate, which, uh, Wow, you can't bring it on a normal plane. You know what I mean? It, it's a, it's a, or you, if you do it, it's it's a big, giant, cumbersome thing. Uh, so it's it's, but they do it all the time, all over the Orient, and all, I mean, all over Asia and Hong Kong and and everywhere. You know, uh, and boy, it it really it draws the crowds when when you have an Ultraman movie playing at a movie theater and you've got a a guy in an illuminated Ultraman suit there for meet and greets, you know. Oh, yeah, that kids will just... And by the way, the, the policy of Subaraya is to never charge for autographs, so when the kids come up to meet Ultraman, they get a free picture and they get to shake his hand. And Oh, that's amazing. Know. That's, yeah, that's there's great. No, the policy is no, no charge. Ultraman would never... Ultraman is a benevolent hero from space, would never charge American children for his autographs. <laughs> Now, that, though, that he just break character. Maybe they maybe they should do that for the for the uh, DVD and Blu-ray release of the film. Maybe have Ultraman at the oh. store when it comes out or something. Yeah, yeah I mean that that's a possibility. That's a that's big a promotional. That's a big promotional thing. I guess I guess that would be my my last question of the show for you would be yes. that when okay. when when can we expect the release? Uh, the home video release of uh, the Ultraman okay, well, double feature. You know what? I can't. I can't go into details about that. But I think that oh. eventually, don't worry about that department. <laughs> you oh, okay. There should be Blu-rays and DVDs uh, oh, available. Good. Yeah. 
so it'll be great. And and there'll be some behind the you know we made some behind the scenes videos of our English dubbing sessions. Oh, I would love to see that. Yeah. So we have Joseph. Did you ever see one of those? Did you see uh, we we released like a one minute sizzle like teaser of it? Did you ever see that? I haven't seen it yet. No, I have not. Okay, I think on Sci-Fi Japan has a little clip of it. Oh, yeah, they've got some clips. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. You can see it. And also Tokusatsu Network has it, I think. You can take a peek at what we do. But we've got these longer, like, uh, 10-minute long, 8-minute long behind-the-scenes videos of how we... of our dubbing sessions. Not the post-production phase, but just the recording sessions where you get to meet the actors, see how they work, you know... Um, now, now here, now oh, here's I love a, that a very stuff. important, a very important question. <laughs> Did you record a commentary track for either one of the movies? Oh, yes. Mm, not yet. Not yet, but we'll see. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be that. awesome. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> you could basically just take you could just take the audio from this show and use it as a commentary for the for the. I was going to. I was going to. Uh, you know, it, it was funny. I was actually approached by Shout Factory to do something, and I said, "Well, you know, run it by Toei, and you know what? What was your, uh, you know." Uh, what was going to be your little honorarium to William Winkler to do that, you know, because I was, you know, I, I, I wasn't getting any residuals from the Toei stuff, you know, and so I, I, I never quite did the audio commentaries for Shout Factory, but um, I, I, I most likely am going to, I, I'm sure I'll do something with the Subaraya stuff. Well, you especially know. if you have I, a, I fully, you have I fully support Subaraya and everything they're doing. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Especially if you have a future with these Ultraman films and you're going to do more projects yes. with them. There's I, a, see I mean, it, it would sure. be great to see that. Yeah. I mean, so Victoria, you and your son are going to go see this. Are going to go see this movie? I'm going to uh, try. Yeah, he wants to. So <laughs> awesome. I usually do what the child wants. So <laughs> well, yeah, you can out. go. You can go see the picture at that Royal Theater in Toronto on the fourth. Is mm-hmm. when they're playing it, and then there's uh, here in uh, in the U.S. We have the uh, theater in Las Vegas, Nevada, which is the um, the Eclipse Theater, and they're going to be playing it on the 5th, mm. which will be Sunday. So you can go to the Eclipse Theater in Vegas. Uh, most of our 40 theaters have already played the pictures yes. So right. by yeah. the time that this is playing. But as of, the, as of this time that we're recording this today, which is what, the, the last day of January, mm-hmm. uh, you know... Mo- it's basically Las Vegas and uh, Vancouver, but also Toronto. Uh, oh, uh, Toronto, oh, Toronto, right, right, yes. Toronto. Toronto. <laughs> um, the other theater that's going to be playing it is the uh, Mahoning Drive-In Theater in uh, uh, Lighton, Pennsylvania. That'll happen on May's twelfth uh, and thirteenth. So you got a chance if you're in the in that part of the country to see it. There, there's going to be some other drive-ins as well. I think around that time playing it. Uh, there's so. some drive-ins close to where I am that I would love to see them play. I don't know if it would work for you, but 
Yeah, maybe, maybe. It, it just, it, I, I got to tell you, it's so great to see Ultraman on the big screen. I mean, that that is an amazing thing. These mm-hmm. were, these films that we're doing are theatrical motion pictures. They were made for movie theaters. Yeah. So when, when you see Ultraman on a big, giant movie theater screen, it's so much fun. You know, it really is. It, it's like the classic Godzillas that were a lot now, of fun. I mean, is there any chance that you may extend the theatrical run, given the fact that it's been so successful so far? Possibly. Possibly. But remember, we have all that other... There's other stages now going to oh, begin okay. to start happening. And of, yeah. course, and of course, you know, like... And, you know, <laughs> I mean, and home video in and of itself is a is a big stage, too. So, you... We have... We have there's certain phases of different parts of this uh, distribution chain, you know. So the mm-hmm. theatrical is the first part, and then there's other parts that, that follow. But these movies are, I mean, especially Ultraman X, uh, mm-hmm. regardless, I think people still, regardless of his, if a Blu-ray was out, I think people, some people would still love to see it on a big screen, you know. It's it, even... Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Or, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I missed it. I was like, "Wow, music box theater! That would have been a great experience." I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I'm cringing because <laughs> I, miss, I missed that myself. So I definitely well, Joseph, I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah, I hope you get well, a chance. If you can catch a flight, if you can catch a flight up to Canada, yeah, <laughs> or or, or, or if I go to Pennsylvania, I'll catch you. <laughs> sorry, that was a little bit in the day. And come out to. Just to, to Las Vegas and shoot craps and then go watch <laughs> go watch all the Sunday night and see the see the showgirls and and all the you know magic acts and all the other stuff and eat at the all you can eat buffets and <laughs> oh, gosh. oh yeah and then go see Ultraman at the Eclipse Theater <laughs> I'll go in an By Ultraman the, way, the, the Eclipse Theater. The guy who runs the Eclipse Theater told me that they've done a tremendous publicity PR campaign in Vegas. It really, he's had, I don't know, like 700 flyers, and he's had all sorts of posters up all over the city, and he's had things at the anime conventions that were up there recently. That'd and be a good place for... They're, for they're the, promoting for the, the living hell out of Ultraman in Vegas, I'll tell you, it's... it's that ve- that I, Vegas that venue amazing. would be good for it, though. Would be good for your for what you were saying about having uh, Ultraman actually that, yeah. running that up and down happen. the theater seats. That well, would that be would awesome. be amazing. Well, what you do is you get a guy on a, on a line and you have him fly over the audience. And, <laughs> 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 you know, or you get a you know they also have statues, life size statues of the Ultraman characters. They they had an exhibit up at the Tokyo Sky Tree Tower or whatever and. Tokyo Tower, and they had an exhibit at the top level, uh, and they had the statues of the Ultraman characters that have illuminated eyes and everything. And awesome. you know, so awesome. maybe we get a statue out here. I don't know. Well, well anyway, what's what? good, Bill? Uh-huh. It's Bill. It has been such a great yeah, time having you, you on so the show fun. tonight. We are we are running out of time, but you know what? It, se- it seems like time flies by so quickly. I can't believe how you on the show. It does fly. That was two hours. I mean, we were talking. Two hours, yes. We were talking about. We were talking earlier before the show started that we were maybe going to go like an hour and see how it goes. And time just flies. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, you're very entertaining. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me on your show, and I hope your uh, listeners enjoyed it, and viewers or listeners, whatever. And uh, I can't wait to. I can't wait to see the films. I'm. I'm. And enjoy Ultraman. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And yes. uh, 
And so with that, we're going to go ahead and end tonight's episode, and we will see you next week.